I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea and what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Hey, hey, ladies, it's Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast, episode 110 today, which is just so exciting for me. I hope you are well. I hope you're enjoying life at the moment, and I've got some new information for you today. I'm going to be sharing about the perimenopause transition, and the reason why I decided to do this topic, this episode today, is because quite often as I am making my way about the world and I get asked what it is that I do and I tell people I'm a menopause expert. My expertise is in uh, assessing and coaching and helping women through the menopause transition. Quite often what I'll hear from my younger patients is, oh, that isn't me yet, but I'm sure it will be someday. And I'm looking at these women in their 40s, Maybe they're late 30s, and I'm looking at the list of their symptoms that they've come to see me for, and I'm like, hmm, I think maybe that's a little more you than you think. So um, it's, an, it's an often discussed topic amongst experts is how to get information into the hands of younger women so that we aren't blindsided by the experience of perimenopause. So today... I'm talking about perimenopause, and it's not just cool info, bro. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that will help you if you're in the earlier parts of your journey, menopause journey, that is. And uh, let's see, let's see where this goes. Let's see where it unfolds too. So before I get too far into the topic, I want to pause to take a moment from our sponsor. Our next partner is AG1 the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, 
and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Okay, so perimenopause, a topic that a lot of us are incredibly underinformed about, myself included. And um, as we near our midlife, it turns out that uh, what happens and how we manage it in midlife, in perimenopause, which is for some women, 35 to 55. For some women, it's 10 years of that range. For some women, it's three years of that range. For some women, it's six months of that range. But uh, perimenopause is defined as that period of time before we've had our last menstrual period. So once we've had 12 months without a menstrual period, then we're considered menopausal. And everything after that is postmenopausal, although it's just generally referred to in a lot of ways as a woman being in menopause. So technically, the rest of our life is us in menopause. Um, so menopause is also, per, per, excuse me, perimenopause is also referred to in the medical literature as the menopause transition. So you may hear that terminology as well, and it's interchangeable. So we're talking about an approximate 10-year transition with brain changes that can last 20 years. So don't panic, I got you. <laughs> I got you. So what we do uh, to manage how we're feeling and what we're experiencing during the time we call perimenopause is the uh, indicator or the predictor of what the second half of our life is going to be like. So we don't want to disregard these symptoms. We want to take care of ourselves to the best of our ability. So like I said, so often I hear uh, women in their 40s who are not experiencing symptoms that they are recognizing as perimenopause. Because there's still a lot of women who believe that menopause does not start until we start to notice our periods changing. And meaning we're skipping periods. And so um, what we have to recognize is that there's a lot of other symptomatology that is involved in the hormonal fluctuations that we understand happen during the second half of our reproductive life as we lean into uh, life without an ovulatory cycle, um, what we call menopause. So it's not just information for the ladies who are 50 and older. This is for if you are anywhere in your 30s or 40s and you just don't feel like yourself. Something feels like it's changed. Chances are what you're experiencing is perimenopause and it's totally normal. It has nothing to panic about. But let's talk about those symptoms and let's talk about what it means. So the average age of menopause, which again is 12 months without a period, is 51. So that means if the menopause transition or perimenopause is 10 years typically for women, that means you're starting in your early 40s. So for some women, again, it's late 30s. And looking back at it now, 
as someone who's 50 and can recognize the symptoms of perimenopause, I'm sure my perimenopause started around 37 or 38. And that was the time I really started to notice that my sleep quality was changing very dramatically. I wasn't able to sleep through the night anymore. I couldn't sleep in so much anymore. And quite often I would wake up and I would not be rested. So I think that's really important to know. Um, 37, for sure. I had already been speaking to women about the process of menopause for several years at that point, and it wasn't really until I had the hindsight that I could confirm it. So that's me as somebody who uh, understands what's going on. And, and even back then, we we sort of knew what happened during perimenopause, but that field has developed very much in the last Uh, 10 years for sure. So like I said, 35 to 55 is the most likely range of normal. So typically the first symptom a woman has of perimenopause is that her period cycle gets shorter. So let's say you're used to your periods being every 30 days and you've tracked it. It's been that way forever. Now it's all of a sudden 28 days or 27 days. That's typically the first uh, symptom that women will notice. And if you're not particularly good at tracking your cycle, you may not even notice that. We can also experience heavier, longer periods and more clots. And this is especially true of women that have had uh, babies, have had pregnancies. And um, uh, we can start to see the acceleration of things like fibroids, endometriosis. Something else that we can experience is that our mood elevation isn't as easy or we can notice anxiety, depression, or panic attacks. You can feel anxious, you can feel depressed, you can feel rage, you can feel paranoia, disconnection, and low self-worth and low mood. Now, when I look at this list here in front of me, I think, my God, I think that's pretty much everyone. That's those experiences, right? And I'm laughing because we don't, it's so normalized for us to have symptoms that we think it's just what happens. And sure, it is, but it's also really important to acknowledge that it has a causative factor. And that is the the egress or fluctuations, because we're talking about perimenopause, that means estrogen can swing wildly high and swing low, whereas progesterone, testosterone tend to be just on a general slow decline. So when we have those fluctuations, we can feel um, cognitive, mental, thought-based changes. And because of the environment that we were raised in, we blame ourselves. And I think it's really, really important to acknowledge this, that this is a normal symptom of menopause, but that just because I say it normal doesn't mean that you have to endure it. There are appropriate treatments for it. And in fact, a beautiful piece of research that just came out earlier this week uh, that literally had me in tears because it validated what a lot of the women who come to see me are talking about, what I've experienced, which is that the mental changes that happen at perimenopause are quite often mismanaged as mood disorders 
depression or anxiety, which treating those things is all fine and good and can be helpful. A better way to look at it is which hormones need supplementing that are causing the experience. So if we're talking about depressive mood, estrogen as it declines will also take down dopamine and serotonin levels. So not only are we feeling potentially not as happy or not able to access happy, but we're also not getting that pleasure and reward experience, which is the dopamine experience. And when we look at it like that, we don't self-blame anymore. And I don't think it's a mistake at all or a coincidence at all that the time in a woman's life where she is most likely to feel badly enough to want to take her life is between the ages of 45 and 49. This also happens to be the time where we're more likely to be misdiagnosed with mood disorders, chronic fatigue, and that sort of thing. So it's just another layer of the misunderstanding of what we go through at perimenopause. But what I want you to understand is that as the hormones of connection, because this is what these hormones do for us, they cause reproduction. They allow us to Uh, disperse our genetic material, if we think about it from a purely biological point of view. So these different hormones and neurochemicals fluctuate throughout the month, but allow us to attract a partner that potentially we can reproduce with. So they make us amenable, and they make us attractive, and they make us, these hormones make us, um, let's see, able to connect uh, on a way, in a way, uh, during our ovulation, uh, when we're fertile, that maybe we wouldn't closer to when we're actually menstruating. And so as we get on in perimenopause and the hormones start to egress, uh, or leave the building, we can really feel the mental and cognitive shift. And certainly brain fog, again, is one of those things I hear about a lot. And I experienced that too. I still do. Um, So you'll forgive me if I forget what I'm saying. (laughs) That's why I have notes in front of me. (laughs) Okay. So um, please understand if you feel any of these things, number one, you are not alone. 50% of the population by the year 2025, 1.1 billion women on the planet will be somewhere in the menopause transition. So we've all experienced this to some degree. And I know I've told the story on this uh, podcast before, uh, but the first time I experienced the rage of menopause, which is usually directed at our partners or our children, interestingly enough, which then makes us feel bad, which then, you know, all of the things that go along with that. But... um, I was making, it was just after I went gluten-free, and I really just wanted dumplings, like potstickers. So I found a gluten-free recipe for dough, and I made up the yummy stuff that's on the inside. And that was really my first experience with with the understanding in real time that when you don't have gluten in a dough, it's not stretchy. And so here I was trying to make these dumplings, And they were not sticking together. And no matter what I did, and I just got more and more frustrated in the kitchen, and I like to think I'm a pretty good cook, 
I got so mad at those stamp things. I literally threw them at the wall. <laughs> I laugh at it now, but it was so upsetting at the time. I was like, like, I don't do anger. Right. And then of course, that's a whole other thing about, you know, good girls don't do anger, which is BS too. But this was my early forties. This is, this is how I was learning that things that we experience. And you know, rage is on that list of things that we experience at perimenopause, and we see we feel terrible for it. So, if you're experiencing any of these things related to mood, the same paper that I spoke about earlier is suggesting that the best course of treatment for women in the perimenopausal transition that are experiencing the cognitive or mood related changes is number one hormone therapy, number two, potentially adding in an anti-anxiety or antidepressant medication, if that's the right thing for you, if you found it helpful. And then number three, the lifestyle modifications that will allow you to have the tools to um, manage uh, the symptoms. And uh, again, it's about time we're talking about that. You know, this feeling of doom is a really interesting one because I remember having this too, um, driving to work one day, I don't know, I was probably in my late 30s, and just had the sense that something was terribly, terribly wrong. Like the other shoe was about to drop. And like there was nothing going on in my life. And I remember nothing exciting. I remember thinking, is everybody okay? Like I call my husband, I call my parents, I call my friends, everybody's okay. You know, or the, is a dog okay? Or the cats? Like this is what went through my mind. Right. And um, I remember thinking, is this my intuition trying to tell me that some shit's about to go down? It never was. But there was always a part of me that was like, well, maybe that's what's going on here. And it was like I had this sense of something not quite right. And I think I suspect I probably just got used to that feeling. And so uh, it, it, I don't notice it so much anymore. But um, that was another thing I experienced. And that's a fairly common one. We can also have urinary changes. And that can mean like frequent urination or leakage. And, you know, I think women, we just sort of associate that with having babies uh, so we tend to just go, oh, that'll go away someday. I, I, not, I don't have time to deal with it. When in fact, we have uh, pelvic floor physiotherapy now that's excellent for helping with that. And you don't have to suffer with that. We can also experience libido changes, which means we are less interested in sex. And if we're in our late 30s or early 40s, chances are we got little guys at home. Uh, still, we may be you know, deep in our careers, we may be uh, having parents that are aging or infirm. And like, who has time for sexy time when you have all that other stuff to deal with? So at the same time, we can experience something in perimenopause where we can no longer access easily the feelings of pleasure. And so when sex changes, and it's either uncomfortable because you're dry or um, you've got uh, vaginal atrophy that can happen in the lower part of the uh, end, uh, the, the, the end parts of perimenopause, you can start to have sort of painful intercourse because of vaginal atrophy. Um, you just, you lose the sense and you don't want to talk about it. So you just kind of avoid it. That's a fairly common thing I hear too. Um, but it is something to look at and say, okay, what does this mean long-term? And um, just do I want to have sex as part of my healthy aging? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably a good idea to take a look at it. 
Okay, so estrogen starts to fluctuate, as I said. Progesterone, testosterone levels slowly decline. Stress affects you more. So you feel like you're less resilient to things that you are normally able to just let bounce off you. That's not uncommon as well. And the other thing we see in perimenopause is increasing levels of FSH. So it's a good idea to get some baseline testing. Now, as I always like to do when I'm doing a solo episode these days, is to give you some tools at the end. What can you do to take this information and make it super useful to you? So number one, as I've just said, if you're in early menopause, get some baseline testing. And that means having your doctor do a blood draw and looking at estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, DHEAS, um, let's see what else is on that list, the inflammatory markers, CRP, and homocysteine. And then, of course, you know, having your A1C checked is really a good idea, as well as if you're still bleeding and you're a heavy bleeder, then having your iron markers uh, iron and um, uh, blood looked at for whether or not you can actually uh, sustain uh, the appropriate level of iron in the blood. And that's a really important one, especially if you're a heavy bleeder. So have that baseline testing done because when you're 50 or 55 and things are maybe even noisier, you can have your doctor look back at that testing and say, okay, so your level here has come way down. Let's supplement with a little bit of whatever hormone is necessary. So track your period. If you're not doing this already, please do it. It's going to give you a lot of insights into what's going on with your body. Take a look at what your period is doing and what your symptoms are doing. These uh, tracker apps are free. If you don't like the idea of doing it electronically, that's fine. You can just take out a paper calendar or print one off and take some notes for yourself. These things all are useful, useful information. So I know I talk about this next one all the time, but it, it bears repeating. Reduce your stress if you can, and certainly learn how to, to handle stress better. So learn stress management. And what does that mean? It means that we can't necessarily control what comes at us, but we absolutely can control how we respond So get yourself some good tools for seeing that whatever's coming at you is potentially not life-altering. You're just having an experience of reaction based on something that's happened historically. And you know that saying, if it's hysterical, it's historical. I have found that to be really, really true in my life, meaning I may have a reaction to something that is completely unnecessary for me to have a reaction to, but because I had a terrible experience 20 or 30 years ago, this is the reaction that I'm having. So start to look at your responses and saying, is that really an appropriate response for whatever's in front? I don't know why we glorify stress. I hope that's uh, that little tidbit of pop culture is on its way out. We do not need to glorify stress or busyness. And speaking of this, um, I was I did a couple of great interviews today. I was interviewed for a podcast today by Mary Lee, and then I interviewed another awesome guest for the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast uh, on ADHD, actually, and menopause. So interesting. But one of the things that came up a couple of times today 
in these uh, in these interviews that I did was I I happened to be listening to a podcast earlier this week, and the person being interviewed said something that stopped me in my tracks. She said, "Productivity is a trauma response." Whoa! Like blew my hair back. So productivity is a trauma response. Busyness is part of that. This is where we're getting this whole glorification of busy. We prove our worth by being busy. It's because of some past experience, whether it was in our lifetime or it's ancestral, it's in our lineage, and this is just what we do. The other thing is when we're so busy, we don't have to pay attention to our trauma. We just, we can ignore it. We don't have to listen to the sadness or the anger or whatever. We don't have to look at the crappy marriage that we're in or the shitty job that we're at. So start to become aware of all of that because um, as Mary Lee and I were talking about today, uh, and this is a quote from Dr. Northrup, that midlife will throw you up against the doors of all of your unresolved stuff. And that does absolutely happen. It is, uh, it is very true. So um, just start to learn to deal with it along the way, and then you don't have to have a crash landing where you deal with it all at once, because that can happen too. So I, again, this is not to frighten you, but to prepare you. Because if you can do little and often on this sort of thing, like uh, uh, trauma therapy, then, uh, or starting to get to know the nervous system and how you regulate it, then you may never have that experience. It may be something that's stuck with Gen X and the millennials and and the newer generations won't have to deal with it at all. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love that. So I just want you to know you may not follow the typical trajectory of perimenopause if you have a chronic illness, you have PCOS, You've had a hysterectomy or endometrial ablation, and that's when you ha- still have your uterus, but the uterus lining has been ablated, so you're no longer bleeding, so you don't actually know, you can't use your menstrual cycle to gauge where you are in the perimenopause transition, or if you're undergoing chemotherapy. Those things will all sort of change the typical trajectory of perimenopause. And if you're not sure how, ask your healthcare provider, because they all do it a little bit differently. Research is showing us that if you have a concerning family history of Alzheimer's, heart disease, or cancer, you may wish to have the benefits and protection of hormone therapy, or HRT. We're learning a lot about this. It's not scary. Um, There is an appropriate way to do it, which is dermal estrogen, so application on the skin of estrogen, so not swallowing it. And bioidentical progesterone, which in Canada and the United States is called Prometrium, although it can be compounded, it doesn't need to, but it can be. Um, that's how you do it safely. And in order to get the best benefit and protection of hormone therapy, it's best to start before you stop bleeding. Right? I know, I know that one seems like it's out there. Like, really? Yes. So start your baseline testing early, 
have your testing done, depending on your symptomatology, when it seems appropriate. Maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once every two years at the beginning. And then as things start to decline and you start to get symptoms, that may be the time to introduce. And again, please have a conversation with your prescriber about this um, and say, you know, am I a candidate for this? And they know your family history. I do not. I am a doctor, but I'm not your doctor. So take this information and take it to your healthcare provider and have the conversation. And remember, the more we talk about this with our healthcare providers, the more questions we ask, more informed we are when we show up to advocate for ourselves and our health long term, the better answers we demand and we'll get if the demand is there then the smart people that are our healthcare providers will find the answers for us. We're in a weird time right now where you may get a little pushback, but just keep advocating for yourself because uh, we're learning more and more about this all the time. Um, and, you know, it's just really safe for us to have uh, treatment during perimenopause, whatever that looks like. It might be yoga therapy. It might be... Um, what are those things that you do with like a rage box where you go and you smash stuff and then you feel good? <laughs> it may be a support group. It may be uh, supplements. It may be HRT. Whatever it is for you, it's totally okay. But you have to use your voice and ask for help. I hope this was helpful for you today. I really want to start to get the message out to the perimenopausal ladies, the early meno ladies, the late 30s and early 40s ladies. So if you've listened to this episode today and it's resonated with you and you think you have friends or family members or coworkers that could benefit, please share this episode with them. I would love that so much. And as always, I'm so grateful for the time that you allow me. I hope this has been useful for you. And until next time, be well. Take care. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your health care provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.